0: The Financial Times of London, everybody on the city of London, Wall Street, the multinational corporations, they're the ones trying to shut me up. They will never shut me up and never shut me down. We've essentially put the burden on the bailout on the working class and middle class. That's why nobody owns anything. But the, the millennials today are nothing but 19th century Russian serfs. They're better fed. They're better clothed. They're in better shape. They have more information than anybody in the world at any point in time. But they don't own anything. They're not going to own anything. okay? And, they, and they're and they 20%. If you, take, if you mark in time against their parents, they're 20% behind in their income. And there's no pension plan in the future. They're, they're all gig economy. We've literally destroyed the middle class in this country. Okay. And both political parties. By the way, this is not about Republicans and Democrats. Right. This but, is this is this is the way the system works and this is the way the system comes together.
1: Good morning and welcome to the war room. Today is July 21st in the year of our Lord 2022. I am Terry Schilling filling in for the great and amazing leader, the legend Stephen K Bannon. Thank you all for joining us. We have a packed show today. We are going to be talking about election integrity. We're going to be talking about the marriage votes in Congress. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Italy. We're most we're going to start off with talking about uh, what's going on in the court case with with, with Steve Bannon. Um, we've got uh, Jack Pasobic here with us, joining us uh, to start us off. Jack, bring us yeah, in. Yeah, that's Jack's right. So Tampa, that's.
2: Right, so i'm down here i'm in tampa florida you can see behind me this is the tampa convention center we are just now starting turning point the sas the student action summit we are getting and right now this morning you can see behind me and you'll probably see throughout the show as we go on we'll be bringing in some people from turning point from the event this really is becoming the center of the conservative universe this weekend so tomorrow we have Governor Ron DeSantis, the great governor of this freedom state. Then Saturday, of course, right here in this very building, just through those doors, right up those steps behind me, President Donald J. Trump will be addressing the audience of thousands that are getting here. But as you can see, I also want to say a huge thank you out to Rumble. We are, we are using their Rumble studio space right now to be able to do War Room, to be able to get it here. They set it up at the last minute for us. It's amazing. Thank you so much to them. But we have to get into the news because there's so much going on around the world. We're going to talk to Ben Harnwell pretty soon here in Rome because we're seeing the resignation of Premier Draghi. We knew this was coming. We've also got situations, tanks on the streets of China, the CCP cracking down, the runs on the banks, the freezing of bank accounts. What else are we talking about? The, the um, Nancy Pelosi talking about making a trip to Taiwan. Biden, the military, trying to stop her from doing that, from standing with Taiwan at a time like this, where we know what's coming down. The people of Taiwan, the people know that the CCP is bearing down on them. We've got a world on chaos. And President Biden, meanwhile, is out there telling the world that, oh, I've got cancer. Wait, do you have cancer or not? And then the White House has to walk out. He's feckless, he's ridiculous. They said city's talking about something else. Right. You have a show president while Steve Bannon is on show trial. And that's why I want to bring in the great now Viva Fry, the lawyer who's been doing an excellent daily recap podcast, shooting to the top of the charts uh, on Apple. Talking every day about what's going on in the trial. So yesterday we saw the prosecution rested, but there were a lot of legal bombshells that were going on. The back and the forth—it's been a roller coaster. So, Viva Fry, let's bring you in. Let's get some color of the recap that you've been doing for the post millennial.
3: How's it going? I'm just—I'm just trying to back up without pulling my computer down to the ground. Uh, the recap for the post millennial put out an episode last night. Prosecution rested its case after two. I won't say stellar or qualify their testimony after two witnesses, general counsel for the committee and the FBI investigator, Stephen Hart. And I mean, look, they proved essentially what they need to prove in order to have a chance to succeed or in order to succeed on this claim. Bannon was served with the subpoena. Uh, He knew of the dates. There was some back and forth among the committee and Bannon's counsel. Bannon refused to comply, took to social media, made some public posts from his verified Getter account indicating that he was not complying. Uh, they referred the matter to the investigator. If you can imagine, there's nothing more serious to investigate at this point in time in American history and politics than Stephen Bannon's contempt of Congress. FBI investigator Stephen Hart checks out some social media posts, is satisfied that the elements are there for an indictment, and then they submit it for, uh, for indictment to a grand jury. And that's the evidence. They close it. Some interesting developments uh, related to some documentation that was allowed into evidence. Uh, the letter, the recent letter from uh, Donald Trump uh, purportedly waiving the privilege that was allegedly given. Well, this is huge. This given- is huge.
2: So, so I want to drill this home for the audience back, back there. So we have a letter now from President Trump that they fought tooth and nail to not be presented In this case, they didn't want this letter in, they didn't want this evidence to be presented, this letter from President Trump, which specifically speaks to executive privilege and the case of Steve Bannon. Viva, what are the implications of the fact that this has been now allowed into the jury? What does it mean for the trial? And what are the implications of the use of executive privilege, this argument in general?
3: Well, so my understanding is that legally speaking, there, it's questionable whether or not it was bona fide, legitimate executive privilege. That's a separate question at law. The question of fact is whether or not Bannon, as a matter of fact, thought that he had executive privilege and thus he was not defying the congressional subpoena. He could not legally comply with it. So there's a question of law, which is for the judge. And then there's a question of fact, which goes to Steve Bannon's mens rea intent. The issue about this this correspondence, among others, oddly enough, it was the prosecution that opened this door uh, for this correspondence and in particular this letter because they, it was the day before yesterday, were saying that we want to admit correspondence between the committee and Bannon's attorneys, uh, which referred to executive privilege, which the judge last week said Bannon can't raise as a defense, nor can he raise the legitimacy of the committee. So they opened the door for this. I don't know why, but on the one hand, you know, I can look at this letter and say both sides are going to spin it the way they want. And if I'm prosecution, I don't mind this letter coming in because you know darn well that this letter, drafted by Trump in a way that would incense his adversaries and please his, his, his allies or his followers or his supporters. This letter says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm waiving the executive privilege uh, and Bannon can testify. In the same letter, it refers to the committee as the unselect committee, uh, basically a political witch hunt, a, a travesty of a committee. And you know that for a jury, which probably is going to be 95, if not 100% Democrat uh, Hillary Clinton supporters, That's going to incense them. And it's going to incense them in a way that if I'm prosecution, I would raise that argument. Look at this. Even in waiving the executive privilege, he's still defiant to the end, thumbing his nose at the committee. But the implications, Bannon can now argue as a matter of fact that he thought he benefited from executive privilege, which goes to the mens rea of the criminal intent here. you got actus reus, having committed the act, mens rea having intended to commit the act. And so he could raise this argument now, at least in pleadings. It might confuse things, but I think this letter, in as much as it's fun to read and it's really you know, awesome the way Trump finds ways to dig and jab at, at people who don't like him, it's a double-edged sword. It will be spun as more defiance, more thumbing your nose at the authority of the committee.
1: Viva, Viva right, but what's the, what the timeline oh, here? What's, what's the timeline here? What's the time frame? When can we expect this to be you know, and come to a conclusion? Uh, what's the longest it's going to go on?
3: Well, I, I mean, so the prosecution has rested its case. They've presented their two witnesses. They think they've presented all the evidence they need for conviction beyond a reasonable doubt. And now it's going to be the defense. I, I don't know who Bannon had lined up for witnesses. I don't know if Bannon intends on testifying. There are some mixed rumors that Bannon wants to and will testify. We don't know. But now it's the defense's turn. Holy cows. It's the defense's turn. And... Um, we'll see how long they go. I can't imagine them going for much longer than the prosecution itself, but they can call a few witnesses and this can go on a few more days, but with any luck, I think it should end by the end of the week. And then the question is going to be, is, is it a fait accompli for, for a conviction or is there a chance that the jury might say, yeah, look, uh, there's a letter saying that he waived executive privilege, which presumes that he had it in the first place. It'll be interesting to follow, but should be done by the end of the week in my mind.
2: Right, and so now the content well, is very- right. The fact that they're the fact that they are going to the jury, right? And and presumably as you state, this may be a jury that pro- it's a DC jury, so they're probably not going to be a bunch of Trump supporters sitting on this thing. Now it might rub them the wrong way. Because, and I sat there during jury selection and you saw people, and again, we heard this, this uh, witness yesterday, the first witness who was the chief counsel for the J6, she is the chief counsel for the J6 committee and her and her staff were giving me the evil eye as they walked out of the courthouse and spotted me there uh, talking to some few folks that were there. They, she kept referring to this as a domestic terrorist attack. Domestic terrorist attack that led to multiple deaths over and over. And through the course of that jury selection, We saw that essentially the jury mostly agrees with her assertion of that. And so when you've got a guy like Stephen K. Bannon there in front of a jury like this, when you've got a guy like Donald Trump who's coming up into a situation like this and they know, right, they know that these jurors are their people, does it actually run the risk of them saying, look, this guy's on the side of Trump and we're going to convict him because we don't like him? And that really digs back to the question of political bias. And that's what the defense was getting into.
3: Jack, I mean, it's an interesting point. It's a double-edged sword. The the distinction between uh, defiance and resistance is perspective. Trump's side is going to see this as resistance, and the jury probably will see this as more defiance. I mean, I don't know if the jury is seeing Bannon take to the podium before every day of trial and speaking to the world, using this trial as a pretext to speak to the world. I suspect they are. I suspect anybody who is not uh, a supporter of Trump or who loathes Trump We'll see this not as resistance, but as defiance, justifying a sanction. We'll see. But it, it might have been a, a you know a done deal from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, and I could see a jury getting incensed by this. You have Donald Trump referring to this committee as unselect sham kangaroo court travesty of justice, where some of these jury members are, in fact, and probably still do see this as an insurrection, an act of domestic terrorism, a term that was thrown around the House Resolution 503, more times than you can count. And they believe it. And so they're going to believe that it was an act of domestic terrorism. And here you have Steve Bannon, the ringleader, saying all hell is going to break loose, uh, flouting the authority of the committee and making a mockery of this trial and Donald Trump aiding and abetting through this letter. But, but who knows? Uh, I think both Trump and Bannon at this point are using this trial to speak to the world and not necessarily to the jury. The misdemeanor from hell. <laughs> oh, two, two, two counts of contempt of Congress for failing to appear and for failing to produce documents of someone who was not even there the day of, is an extremely popular uh, social media personality, has a huge platform. Uh, this was not about any aiding and abetting or having anything to do with the events of January 6th. It's about making an example of proud spokespeople for ideological adversaries.
2: Well, Vin Viva, there was no, a place exactly and right. I- I listened to it this morning, The um, your recap. There was a point you made. We're seeing Steve Bannon on trial. They're bringing up Jan 6. They're trying to get... They're- Obviously, and and it's clear that the witness was was aiding them in this. They're trying to make this a case about January sixth and trying to say that Bannon is uh, is complicit in that. She keeps bringing up this phrase, "All hell's going to break loose." All hell's going to break loose. By the way, I was sitting next to Steve Bannon when he said that. He was talking about the debate that was supposed to take place in the well of the Senate. But your to your point, Diva, that you made on the recap, there is somebody that we know organized and incited a riot to storm the Capitol, and his name is Ray Epps. Yet, interestingly enough, he's not on trial, and he has not been referred for prosecution at all, as far as we know.
3: It's, it, it is patently absurd, and you know that it's bad when the New York Times comes out and runs a propaganda puff piece portraying Ray Epps not as a perpetrator of this act of domestic terrorism, but as a victim of right-wing conspiracy theories that somehow he's just an innocent victim in all of this, and now he's being thrown under the bus by the right, as opposed to prosecuted to the moon by a weaponized DOJ. Ray Epps on camera the day before saying, storm the Capitol, go in the Capitol, on, uh, on the Capitol the day of, by his own admission, going past barricades, being present on restricted grounds, Uh, And leaves once the violence occurs. By his own admission, texted his nephew, uh, basically explaining, if not boasting, about his role in orchestrating all of this. I don't know if he's been subpoenaed. I don't know if the House committee subpoenaed Reyes. In fact, I don't think they have. Uh, So to suggest that they're going after the actual meaningful players in this, at this point, would be laughable. Uh, And it becomes somewhat undeniable that they're going after the political players in this. And players as in people who have a platform. People who have been vo- vocal op- uh, opponents and are now All right. feeling the rap.
1: Viva, Viva, we're going to carry this into the break. Uh, guys, stay tuned. We got a packed show coming up with Ben Harnwell to cover the Draghi story. Stay tuned. We love you.
4: You
0: know what's never good?
2: with Stephen K. Bannon.
3: The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide.
2: War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
1: Welcome back to The War Room. We are going to turn it right back to Viva. Viva, what next? Uh, close this thing out. Give, give everyone an idea of what to expect next and
3: what's going to happen. Uh, so, prosecution has closed this case. They're going to start back up now with the defense. Uh, presenting their witnesses. I presume there might be some form of counsel for Bannon in there to speak to the letter invoking executive privilege. Uh, Bannon might himself testify since he's been using the podium outside to do it quite vocally, so he might seize the opportunity. And then they close up, and then there's going to be closing arguments and a verdict. I I, I suspect it's going to be done by the end of the week. I don't see how this can go on for much longer. We'll see what the day holds today, but... uh, that's it. I'm, I'm not changing my initial prediction. Uh, I think this was a done deal from the get go. Prosecution has gotten its evidence in service of subpoena, noncompliance. And I don't know that Bannon is going to be able to invoke any defenses that are going to be um, accepted by this jury.
1: All right. Where can where can folks find you? Where can they find uh, the podcast? How, how do they get to this? To stay up to date. So,
3: we get you can find I've been doing daily streams on my YouTube and Rumble channel, Viva Fry. You can find me on Twitter, The Viva Fry, and The Post Millennial. I've been doing daily exclusive summary analysis updates at the end of the day. You can find that on The Post Millennial, and I've been tweeting out the links to that left, right, and center on Twitter.
1: Viva, thank you for your service. You got a beautiful little girl. Don't think we the war room missed her popping into that <laughs> shot. That was the he's, best he's, part of your whole he's, segment. He's, He's
3: he's a boy. He's just got long hair like it, like oh. his dad. <laughs> Don't
5: worry. I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm
3: but I need to get a better oh, walk. Oh, that's on the, great. Uh, studio door here.
1: <laughs> Viva, have a great life. We'll see you soon. dude thank, thank you. All right, uh, uh, Cameron, uh, can you play that clip of uh, Draghi real quick.
6: Yeah. Perché mi sto recando dal Presidente della Repubblica per comunicare le mie determinazioni. Grazie per, per questo, naturalmente. Certe volte anche il cuore dei banchieri centrali viene usato qualche volta.
1: Harnwell, break this down for us. What the heck is going on in Italy and why does this matter? morning terry
5: morning posse well today this is something that the war room predicted around 10 days ago the government here in sri lanka is a coalition government tenuous tenuously held together at best has finally fallen the the prime minister mario draghi who as as we know isn't elected he's a technocratic president he's not, not a, a president of the council that is i should say um he's a not a deputy of the lower house. He's not a senator. He's simply picked by the president of the republic. And it was to the president of the republic, Sergio Mattarella, that he went. That's the official residence behind me, the president of the republic's official residence, the Quir- Quirinale. And he went, uh, Draghi went here, This came here this morning, and he uh, submitted his resignation for the second time in two weeks. This time, it's been accepted. Look, the thing, Terry, I want to drill down on in this is because... The Western media is pushing out so much disinformation; it's absolutely unbelievable. They're saying, "Oh, the government fell because one of the coalition partners was unhappy to do with an incinerating um, an incinerator dump um, uh, just outside Rome." This is absolute nonsense. The reason this government this government would still be in place until the end of the legislature. Mario Draghi would still be Prime Minister until the end of the legislature. But for one thing, there is massive social dissatisfaction in Italy right now due to the high cost of living and high fuel, um, inflation, and all of this can be traced back to the insane policy of our sociopathic overlords with regard to Ukraine. And specifically, Italy, that is say Mario Draghi was in the forefront of the of the pro Zelensky Brigade. This is more than Olaf Scholz in Germany, more than Emmanuel Macron in, in France. The question is now, with Mario Draghi out of the picture, who is going to be leading the
2: pro Zelensky faction within the EU? Well, Ben, my question, of course, is that we're seeing, um, we're seeing the fall of this government in, in Italy. We're seeing the, the Vespas riding behind you as I've got the, the students walking around behind me here at Turning Point uh, at SAS. I'm down here in Tampa, Florida, the center of the conservative group movement. But we're seeing the collapse, the crush of these governments. They pursued these ESG policies. They shut down their own gas. You've got the Germans, right? They're talking about potentially having to chop wood for the winter. Is there anyone in Italy, is there anyone in Western Europe that has an actual plan forward when it comes to energy? Because if you continue to do this, if you continue the financialization of markets, as Steve said at the beginning of the show, we played that clip of him, then you are always going to lead to populist uprisings. And you're always going to lead to leaders, by the way, like Donald Trump rising up. To fight back against these corrupt elites, is there anyone in Italy with any semblance of what they used to call common sense?
0: Um,
5: not particularly, Jack. Though I have to say, the strategy that the most political uh, parties seem to be seem to be adopting right now is the blame Putin strategy. So the high prices, the high food prices, the high fuel prices, blame Putin, and that has carried the. Uh, you know all of the 27 member states, and perhaps even to some extent the failing Biden administration, along as well. But the more these prices bite, the more people feel impoverished, the less they're going to be satisfied with what, which, which with what are effectively easily disprovable lies. Don't forget, Jack. One government has already fallen because of the the new world order. Agenda, and that is the government of Sri Lanka. Now there are several other governments shuffling on immediately behind Italy. Italy's not going to be the last government now that's going to fall. Already last week we had the Latvian prime minister tendering, tendering her resignation, um, seeking a fresh uh, mandate from from the president of the the the, 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 um, the Latvian uh, Republic. There are other countries that are stacking up now. So it's like it's like at the airport. At the airport, when, when the and the airplanes are all circling around and ready to land. Behind Italy, there are a number of other countries, and time—all all all that is required is for time to to, to flow, and other countries will start to collapse as well. Jack, if I could just say one thing, however. Now, I've not seen this reported in any um, mainstream media, Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. Right, I haven't had a chance to to double verify it, but I'm going to go out on a limb. There are reports that this morning, when the, the moment um, Draghi tendered his resignation, Vladimir Putin augmented the gas supply from Russia to Italy by 70%, that is by 21 wow. to 36 million cubic meters a day. So this is a clear sign, right? And this that's is a confirmed. clear we sign that that two. I'm, I'm working on it. You know, I had to get out of here pretty quickly, but I, um, I, I hope to confirm sure. that later on today. But what what this means, Jack, is that Vladimir Putin has the economic viability of the the EU member states in his hands. He can pull them um, like like, like uh, as, if, as if as if he had them directly. Now, the two countries that will affect the most. Is Italy, but before Italy, Germany, which are the two EU countries most dependent on Russian gas that are pushing hostile policies towards the Kremlin right now. There are other EU countries that are just as dependent on Russian gas, but they're, they're tacking a more prudent line. So it, it seems to me to be clear that Mario Draghi, who he singled, he went out of his way to push a hard line, a hard anti-Moscow line. He went out of his way publicly to say to, the, to his EU um, member state colleagues that, they, that he wants to get a, a price roof imposed on Russian fuel, right? So they used to say that the EU w- w- would would, uh, would fix a price and, and Russia would either sell at that artificially low price to Europe or it wouldn't sell at all. Um and Mario Draghi was the ringleader of that. So he went out of his way to antagonize Vladimir Putin. The economy was suffering because of the the, 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 gas, the Russian gas withdrawal. And that just floated back up to normal today. So that there's a clear cause and effect consequence here. First order, second order, third order, fourth order consequences. This government would still be secure. I repeat, Mario Draghi would still be secure if it weren't for um, the, 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 the bizarre policy that was not furthering Italy's national interests well, with regards to Ukraine. Um,
2: sorry, go ahead. No, Ben, and they, as they always say, we've got a couple of minutes left here in the segment, but as they always say, the enemy always gets a vote because we're already seeing now, and as I mentioned to you yesterday, Lavrov came out and saying, that they are changing the parameters of the special military operation, and they are now looking at territories beyond Donbas, beyond Donetsk, Lugansk uh, provinces, those oblasts, that they are now, and essentially, I believe, I think everybody knows, that they are saying this in response to the long-range weapons, the high-mars, uh, long-range rocket system yep. that has been sent over by the West, and they are now essentially, right, I think everyone knows that where they're talking about, Mikolaev, odessa the entire southern coast novorossiya is something they refer to it as uh, looking at a landlocking of ukraine I- is there a reason and as we close this out why and, and we might be able to hold you over to the next um, uh, the next break uh well ask terry about that but is there an ability to to understand that both sides have have some have a, have a say here
5: um it really depends on how informed and how activist the electorate, I think at this stage, Jack, the electorate wants to be and how much it wants to make its voice felt. If people want to be passive and allow the government to, to steer whatever course it wants to steer with explicit disregard to its own people, if they just want to follow what the mainstream media turns out, but of course, then then these governments will be able to do that and, and there's no need for, for, for two sides to, to get together and talk. What is happening now, however, is that people, you know, when they feel the consequences of incompetence in
1: their own ben, pocket, when they don't have any money, ben, yes. Ben, we're going to yes. carry this over into the break. So stay tuned. And I, I want you to come back and continue this. And I also want you to tell us where we can get a hat like that. So we'll be right back after the break. Stay tuned. We love you still.
4: Everything's begun, and you are over. Taking down the CCP. the word all through Hong Kong. We, will fight till all we rejoice when no Let's
0: take down the CCP. Hey, did you hear where this Arizona real estate agent found the home she lived in, listed for sale? Hey, the problem was she wasn't selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the expert at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply fakes a title transfer for your home and refiles it as the new owner. Then he takes out loans on your home or sells it. Typically, identity theft services don't cover you, and neither does homeowners insurance, but Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and help get your home back in your name. Here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. Then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. And when you protect your home, Tell them Steve Bannon sent you to get your free 30 days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, 30 days free protection if you do it today.
2: War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon.
3: The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide.
2: War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon
1: good morning war room posse uh this has been an awesome day my first time you know hosting war room without steve here um and it's been a little bit stressful um and i am really looking forward to going home tonight uh to my my pillows and my pillow mattress topper my wife bought that for us uh a few years ago and it is a game changer so I just want to encourage you all, you know, Mike Lindell has you know, been targeted and attacked by the regime nonstop. So we got we to gotta support him and keep him afloat um, and make him as successful as possible. So go to mypillow.com, promo code warroom, room and um, have the best night's sleep in the whole wide world. Mypillow.com. Uh, ben, we're going to take it back to you. So uh, close us out here. What do people have to know and where can they find um, uh, find you?
5: Um, uh, ex- exclusively on my get feed Terry, which is uh, simply my surname is at Harnwell. There are a number of imposter accounts. Uh, folks should go to the one which is uh, red and white. V for, for verified. And I'll be updating my feed later, later on today. The big developments here that we're waiting for outside the Quirinale is that around um, right about now, in fact, at 4.30, Elisabetta Casaletti, who's the president of the Italian Senate, should be paying her courtesy call on the president um, of the Republic. And immediately after her, at five o'clock, it's going to be the president of the, the Italian House of Representatives, Roberto Fico. Um, and they're going to decide together, that's like to say, um, with the president whether it's possible that they can scratch out until the end of this mandate next spring a different government, but with effectively the the same parliamentarians or whether just to dissolve parliament and go to fresh elections, um, early elections at the end of September, the beginning of October. So those are the developments here that the whole of the the press call, which is standing here to to my right, uh, will be waiting for.
1: All right, Ben, thank you so much for joining us, and we will stay tuned and have you back on later. God bless. Was. All right. Uh, so next segment. This is awesome, actually. Uh, Pedro Gonzalez is one of the most underappreciated conservatives in the country, and I, I don't. I don't even think it's fair to call him a conservative. He's really just an American. He a few years ago he wrote an article highlighting something fascinating about the whole transgender movement, which is that Abbott Laboratories, or better known as Abby had made over seven, I think it was $728 million off of their puberty blocking drug known as Lupron. And in in one year alone, I think it was 2019 or 2018. And that that was a few years ago. And it got my whole, my mind changed on how this transgender fight is really not just a bunch of gender confused people, but it's really now an industry. There are people, there are shareholders, there are corporate jerks who are profiting off of the exploitation of children. So uh, Pedro and I are actually teaming up on a report and I've asked Pedro to join us to kind of talk a little bit about this and, and what he's found as we've been going through this research. So Pedro, run us through this, right? Like this, this transgender thing, the left would have you believe that it's just a bunch of uh, people who feel uncomfortable in their bodies and they wanna live as they, as, as they, they feel. What's really going on here?
7: Yeah. Well, Terry, first, thanks for having me on. This issue, I think, is unprecedented in the sense that there is so much power and money behind it relative to the size of the group it claims to represent, transgender people, people suffering from gender dysphoria, really. We've really never seen anything like this. I mean, this is really an international thing. It it goes beyond the United States. The report that we're working on is, is limited to the United States, but it's actually astonishing that once you take a closer look at this, you really kind of have to take a step back and ask yourself what's really going on here. So just a kind of snapshot, the global market valuation for sex reassignment surgery is expected to exceed more than $1.5 billion by uh, 2026. This is a massive industry, and like you said, it's not just about helping people that would improve their quality of life by permanently mutilating their bodies and ultimately really becoming lifetime customers of these various medical and pharmaceutical companies because that's actually what happens. Once someone decides that they can change their gender, they actually become dependent on certain industries. The healthcare industry, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, they need to constantly be going to clinics and constantly be taking drugs as part of this process, right? So there's a whole lot of interest involved. Yes, there are ideologues. In other words, there are radicals who are pushing this stuff on on us, on families, on children, on younger and younger children all the time. Those people are real. They exist. But the real problem is that they're being aided and abetted by these massive corporations that have tons of power and are able to get what they do all the way up to the White House. I I can get into that if you'd like
1: no um no but i just i want to credit you on this right because you really tied the it was out there the, the the corporations big pharma these hospital industries we all know that these surgeries and these hormone treatments cost a ton of money but you yeah. were the one that connect the dots of you know the profits i'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit i wanted to continue your points and go into that but yeah. can you talk because the thing is when you start making profits off of this stuff You can then reinvest that into lobbying and politics where you can garner power. And I almost wonder if that's the main push behind the Equality Act and and, and the transgender legislation that's out there.
7: Well, I think, again, there's the ideological component and you can't dismiss these true believers. There are people that really do believe in this stuff. They're wrong. In fact, they're insane and a lot of them are deviants. But really, the power behind them is not that their ideas are sound or that they're based on you know, proper studies and things like that, oftentimes the evidence that contradicts their findings is suppressed or severely qualified. So again, it's not like their arguments are better. It's precisely what you just said. There are massive entities, not just corporations, but also billionaires that are backing them and backing their beliefs that benefit from this stuff. And that's ultimately what what tends to drive this forward. And a, a great example that kind of shows a, a snapshot of this relationship. I, I call it the transgender leviathan just because it's so massive and it's so uh, Byzantine in the way that it's it's arrayed against us. Uh, the White House recently cited a study produced by the Trevor Project arguing that it's necessary to transition children who are experiencing confusion about their gender in order to reduce the likelihood of suicide, right? So that claim itself is, is already flimsy. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that Transition therapy doesn't actually reduce suicidality. In some cases, it might actually worsen it. So that we put that aside, right? But what is the Trevor Project? What is this, non, this LGBT nonprofit that the White House is citing? Well, the Trevor, Prophet, uh, the Trevor Project also has an association with AbbVie uh, through the AbbVie Foundation. AbbVie Incorporated happens to be one of the companies that produces Lupron, Which is one of the top two uh, puberty suppressing drugs that's used as part of the transition process. And if you look, off-label use
1: though, right? I mean, the FDA has never approved it for that.
7: That's exactly right. It's used for other things, uh, specifically related to like types of cancer, like prostate cancer and precocious puberty, early uh, the early onset of puberty. But the FDA, I mean. I don't know how much that is worth, right? The FDA, but the FDA has not officially approved its use for suppressing puberty in children. And the really important thing is, is that once you start doing that to kids suppressing puberty, the likelihood of them taking the next steps, each of which is more and more irreversible increases dramatically. It's like a gateway drug, right? But anyways, Pedro, Pedro,
1: Pedro, we, we, we got some breaking news. Where can people find you?
7: Uh, You can find me at uh, ChroniclesMagazine.org, and I'm on all social media platforms at E-M-E-R-I-T-I-C-U-S.
1: Pedro, you are a legend. We're going to get you back on to talk about this report. Thank you for your service. Uh, Guys, this is just breaking. Uh, President Biden has tested positive for COVID. Uh, That's obviously going to have huge implications. He's already not a real commander in chief he's out of his element he's out of his mind he's he's a puppet president jack uh what's going on here what do you think is going to happen from this is this is this a small thing are they going to use this as an opportunity to get him out
2: well and and first of all just have to say thank you so much for bringing pedro on i mean that pedro is amazing totally underappreciated and by and your point is it's not that he's a writer or a journalist or reporter he's a sicario He's a sicario. <laughs> but when he comes down to this, President Biden, right? So vaccinated, boosted, masked all the time. Joe Biden comes down with COVID. The guy who can't even stand upright on a bike. Yesterday, he said he had cancer. He had that slip of the tongue. I think he probably, that was a Freudian slip. He knew that he had COVID yesterday. He knew that something was going on. He knew that he had it. Terry, here's what's going to happen. This is the moment. That Kamala Harris takes over. Get ready, America, because we're going from the commander-in-chief to the cackler-in-chief. We are going to have her up there. And let me just tell you something. When the work needs to get done, we're going to do the work because we're going to walk and do the steps of the walking to make the work, to take the work that it's all going to. No, you're going to see Kamala Harris. I've said this from the beginning. She is going to be the first female president of the United States. She already was the first acting female of the president of the United States. What a waste. That happened already earlier this year. It's cut. Get ready. Embrace the suck, America. Kamala Harris, right? You may have wanted somebody else. You may have wanted to vote for somebody else. We thought maybe we would elect, you know, maybe elect our first woman. No, no, no. She's going to be in there. And the only question in my mind is how long Kamala Harris is going to be in. And she is going to be pushing every single crazy policy, from the squad left that she can, and she will use it, mark my words, she will use this to set up a 2024 campaign, you know, clip this, screenshot it, whatever you gotta do. She is gonna use this time. If Biden steps back, she's gonna use this as an opportunity to step up to take front stage and then use it to front, she's already talking by the way, about doing a 2024 campaign, that's in the works. This is gonna be the moment that she is gonna look for, now now what you're gonna see, right, put on the analyst hat here for a second, what you're gonna see is that she's gonna look for some big move, some big accomplishment, some big action that she can take while Biden is in the wings, even if he doesn't formally step down uh, and make her acting president, you are gonna see her make some big move that she will be able to point back to while she's on that 2024 campaign trail watch this. You're going to see a 100%.
1: Jack, this is the president that literally no one wanted. No one voted for. I mean, this is insane. I, I, I actually think that they're setting themselves up for failure in 2024 if they go this route, right? Because if, if they do this, she becomes the first female president. How are they going right. to get rid of her through the convention process? She's super unpopular. No one likes her. Uh, and she's dumb. I mean, she's like one of the... My mom actually, you know, moms are yeah, my mom's a huge fan of me, obviously, but she said and she was just like, Terry, I'm not blowing you up. Like, I actually think you might make a better vice president than Kamala. Harris. We're just saying a lot because I'd get be terrible <laughs> vice president. Right. But
2: like what? How yeah, do they let's... get out of this?
1: I don't see how the... it, it is a nightmare waiting for them.
2: No, and it's a nightmare waiting for the American people. If she is able, look, when you pick a vice president, you're not supposed to pick someone that, you know, will stab you in the back. That's who Kamala Harris is. I've talked about this White House, the political intrigue, the infighting that's going on since day one. That's now spilled over. Everybody's talking about it now. People used to say, oh, Poso's crazy. He's making this all up, blah, blah, blah. No, we've seen it from day one. Mark my words. Kamala Harris will use this as the ability to kind of, she might not formally become, you know, acting person. She might if things get worse. We don't know. I mean, the guy said he had cancer yesterday, right? And by the way, and the White House came out and they said, oh, well, no, we're talking about the cancer that he used to have And it was these, you know, this melanoma And and some uh, skin lesions that he He's adopted. losing but his no, mind He didn't say has, he said has The man said he has yeah. cancer Now he's got COVID too, so he's got COVID and cancer Apparently That's your president, folks Jack,
1: we will be right back with my great friend Tiffany Justice Stay tuned, Moms for Liberty, coming back because
4: we're taking down the CCP.
0: years have proven that we need to be prepared. We constantly see government overreach, attacks on our communication, and energy grid, worldwide conflict, natural disasters, and the never-ending assault on our security and privacy. Having reliable communications is essential. Now don't get caught without reliable communication. And I'm here to tell you, your fragile cell phone simply won't cut it. It will not cut it. That's why I've partnered with the Satellite Phone Store, so you can stay prepared and assure your vital communication stays private. They're one of America's largest satellite telephone companies with thousands of happy, well-prepared customers. Right now, they have a special promotional offer when you go to sat123.com slash Bannon. That is sat, sat123.com slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N. Get a free Amerisat satellite phone. 150 monthly minutes, free United States domestic number, and free rollover minutes for only 99.95 plus tax per month with an annual agreement. Now go to sat. That's s a t one two three dot com. Sat one two three dot com slash bannon and get your device today. Don't put it off. Life can change in an instant. That's sat one two three dot com slash bannon. Do it today. Take action
8: Emily, what are you learning, of course, um, from the Biden camp now, from the president's camp, uh, learning that he has now tested positive uh, for COVID?
6: Well, the early indications I'm getting is that the president's health is fine. Obviously, he uh, has this diagnosis and they're going to be giving him, of course, the best care imaginable, as you would expect for the president of the United States. But the early indications from sources at the White House I'm talking to is that the president feels fine. I was actually on the South Lawn of the White House last night when the president returned from that trip to Massachusetts. Uh, He was with staff. He seemed in good spirits. He actually uh, sort of chided the reporters on the South Lawn, including myself, who were shouting questions at him because he had just answered questions Uh, to another group of reporters earlier. But it's really worth underscoring how significant this moment is. Obviously, the president of the United States being diagnosed with COVID is important. But it's important to put it in context as well, because this was a campaign that I covered in 2020 in which COVID was the number one issue. And the Biden campaign really prided itself on the degree to which they were. And it's carried through to the White House as well, modeling the best behavior, both in terms of precautions. And the campaign took a lot of grief for that so-called basement campaign Uh, but slowly re-ingratiating himself into campaigning in public. But even when they did that, limiting his interactions as much as possible. And then, of course, in the White House, for so much of the early months uh, of the administration, even after the president, as president-elect, had been given his first doses of the COVID vaccine, extreme precautions were taken uh, above and beyond even what the CDC had recommended in order to keep the president safe. Just in the last few weeks, there has been a, a significant back and forth between the press corps and the White House, about releasing the testing results as they were coming in. We knew that the president has what they would call a regular testing cadence, often Mondays and Thursdays. The Mm -hmm. White House had sort of stopped proactively releasing the fact that he had received negative tests. But Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, just yesterday, in fact, uh, had indic- had released information on his previous test just after he returned from Saudi Arabia, indicating that he was negative. But obviously, the timeline suggests, as the president had just returned on, I believe it was uh, late Saturday night to, to Washington, uh, that perhaps he contracted this either at the late stages of his trip uh, or huh. in the early stages of this week.
8: So, so uh, Mike, we're getting...
6: Unreal. Uh, I
1: mean, this is... President Biden. I mean, you, you still see these clips of him when he's walking and doing these events. He's wearing his double mask, right? How many vaccines has this guy gotten? How many? How many times has he been boosted? And he's now getting it. I, I Jack, do you think there's anything that they release this to cover up something else in the press? I mean, are they trying to get away from the whole cancer thing?
2: Well, I do think that that it certainly does help them get out of that situation because, of course, that was a huge firestorm when they have the president of the United States, right? Let's let's take out the take out the fact that it's Joe Biden, right, for a second. I know we can't, but you know, let's just let's play along, right? If the president of the United States comes on TV and announces to the world that he has cancer, think about how that's taken around the world. We just had Harnwell on talking about this. Think of how the Russians take that. Think about the Chinese take that, right? North Korea, Iran, they understand. And by the way, the people of Ukraine that have essentially decided to go, they're going along with this. They're expecting the backing of the United States. They're expecting Joe Biden to be the one in there. Now, all of a sudden he comes out and he says he got cancer. So if, if, and I, I get what you're saying at right? Because this is a, this is a classic political strategy that if you are accused of something, you admit to a lesser offense, right? So you admit to a lesser offense. So in this case, the accusation is that perhaps it was true that he said he had cancer, but the lesser offense is, okay, well, I have COVID, right? So it feels almost yep. like a PR strategy. I don't know if that was yep. a, if that was any indication of it, but, but it certainly is knocking all of that out of the headlines now.
1: Yep. No, 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 it, 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 it's, it seems like that's the case. I want to take it to... Uh, tiffany justice by the way i you know american principles project i view us as kind of like the dads of the of the pro-family movement but tiffany justice is you know moms for liberty they're they're the moms. so like you know they're organizing they're nurturing the movement we come in we're we're giving politicians spankings you know when they're when they're getting out of line and, and killing our kids in school tiffany talk i'm getting a lot of i'm hearing a lot about this national joyful warrior summit talk to us about that uh, and 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 I want to talk about education too. But t- tell us about this National Joyful Warrior Summit.
8: So we had over 500 people come in Tampa. I think Jack is actually in Tampa right now. So we were there last weekend. And uh, moms uh, and dads and community members from over 30 states came together, and it was awesome. It was inspiring. We helped parents to get tools in their toolbox, to be more effective advocates, to defend parental rights. And it was just a a great event to be a part of and really should be uh, kind of a warning sign for every person running for office. If you're not paying attention to parents, you might have trouble getting elected this season.
1: The mama bears are coming for you. Um... What what I've noticed is, you know, if you rewind, you know, even three, two, three years ago, talks of abolishing the Department of Education were still like fringe. But as we have seen the the incredible, I mean, the insane overreach, right? Like like gay porn books in our kids' libraries, this gender curricula, all this grooming that's going on in schools. There's like that; those voices aren't so crazy anymore. Talk to us about this. I mean, because what's going on with DeVos and abolishing the the Department of Education? Didn't she call for that?
8: She did. So she wrote a book called Hostages No More, and I was lucky enough to be able to interview her um, at the summit on Saturday. And she said that she believes that the Federal Department of Education should not exist. And she got a standing ovation for that comment. American parents have seen that the federal government should not be involved in education, and certainly not in the decisions that are being, making, being made excuse me, in your local school district. So we saw the um, overreach of the federal government into our states. We also saw the, uh, gosh, what's the, I don't even know if there's a nice word for it, the way that the unions manipulated and used their connections with the federal government, uh, with the Biden administration and the CDC to keep our schools closed. So American parents want uh, less bureaucrats to have influence in our children's education and abolishing the federal department of education is one more step to making sure that that's the case.
1: Tiffany, we're running out of time for this segment. Uh, where can people find you? I, guys, I'm a huge fan of Moms for Liberty, especially Tiffany. Tiffany, where can people find you, get engaged? Talk us through that.
8: Absolutely. Go to momsforliberty.org. You can look to see if you have a chapter in your area, uh, or you can start a chapter. Click to start a chapter. You can follow me on Twitter at 4TiffanyJustice, the number 4 Tiffany Justice, or Moms, the number 4 Liberty. Catch us and, and join us. We have a lot of work to do.
1: That's true. We'll see you guys very soon after the break.
4: And you are over. We're taking down the, CCP. the word all through Hong Kong. We will fight till all gone. we rejoice when no more. let's take down the CCP.
0: folks let me tell you about salty it's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart while covid gets all the headlines it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly seven How we're gonna do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.
2: They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon Today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us.